Well, good afternoon. I'd like to encourage you to take those songbooks right back out and open them up to number 300. Uh, not only is this the song of invitation uh, that we'll be singing in just a few short minutes. I told you this morning I was going to go a little bit long on my sermon. I'm going to take the time that I went extra and cut that off from my sermon this afternoon. Uh, because what I want to do is spend a little bit of time examining the song that, that we will be singing in just a moment. Number 300, I am coming, Lord. Uh, I believe it is good for us, uh, as, as Richard has pointed out to us in the past, to think about the songs that we sing. Think about the words. Think about what it is that we're proclaiming to one another, what we're praising uh, God in. And it's important for us as we sing those things to determine, am I going to do that? I'm saying that. I'm saying that to my brothers and my sisters. I'm saying these things to God. Is that really going to describe me? So if you would, uh, have your, Bible, or your songbooks open there and have your Bibles out. We'll be looking at some of the things that we see in this, in this song. The first verse of the song says, I hear thy welcome voice that calls me, Lord, to thee, for cleansing in thy precious blood that flowed on Calvary. I want to think for a moment about this very first verse. It reminds us that God is reaching out to us. He is calling us. He is beckoning us. You know, there was a time when we lived, before we moved to Nicholasville, out in a, on a farm, about a 90-acre farm in Winchester, in, outside of Winchester in Clark County. And I looked out one day. Madden was probably all of about two years old, one and a half, very young. And I'm looking around the house because it's the kind of place where we can just leave the doors open. The boys go in and out. Uh, and I notice Madden's missing. There's Ryder, there's Easton, where's Madden? And I look out, and there's a speck out in the cow field. And that speck was our dog. <laughs> and beside him was Madden. I found the dog. I started calling for Madden, beckoning him, come back, come back. He's not listening to me. So I started calling for the dog. <laughs> and so the dog came back, and here come Madden, following after the dog. God is calling out to us. He's beckoning us. Come from this world. Come to me. And we see that call throughout His gospel, throughout the story of Jesus' life, throughout the words of His apostles. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 14, listen to what the apostle Paul wrote here. He says, to, to which He called you by our gospel for the obtaining of the glory of our Lord Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of His life is calling us towards the glory of God. And when you read that verse, sometimes we read verse 13 and we get a little bit nervous because it says, We are bound to give thanks to God always for you, brethren, beloved by the Lord, because God from the beginning chose you for salvation through the sanctification by the Spirit and belief in the truth. Sometimes we read that and people say, Well, what if I'm not one of the ones that was chose by God, chose for sanctification, chose for salvation, chose to be called by the gospel? And to answer that question, I would encourage us to turn over to Mark chapter 16 to find out who are these chosen. Who are the chosen that are to receive the call from God towards salvation? Jesus is giving the answer to that question in Mark 16. He says to His disciples in verse 15, Go into all the world and preach the gospel. Therefore, we might say, go into all the world and call every creature. Other parallel versions that say, go into all the world and preach men, teach men to, uh, to become disciples. He's giving this commission to His disciples to go in and don't cherry pick. This guy deserves it, but that guy doesn't. This person deserves it, but they don't. He said the invitation is to all. 
all mankind, all of, of my creation, I'm calling them to me through my gospel, that he who believes in me, believes in this gospel, believes that I am the Son of God and is baptized. We see a connection there to our obedience to Him, shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be condemned. The gospel call then is therefore for our benefit. It is for us to benefit from the sacrifice of Christ because of our sins. Another passage to think about in this is 1 Corinthians chapter 15. 1 Corinthians 15 and verses 1 through 3. Listen to what he says there. Moreover, brethren... I declare to you the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received and in which you stand, by which also you are saved if you hold fast that word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. So he, Paul is bringing up that, the idea that we can be saved uh, if, we, if we believe and allow that belief to move us to keep that word. If we're not keeping the word, if we believe in God and we begin to obey to, uh, obey to Him and submit to Him, and yet we don't continue to hold fast that word and walk in His paths, we can make our time a waste of time. But then verse 3 says, I delivered you first of all that which I, was also, which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scripture. That's what this first verse is singing to saying to us. The voice of God is calling to me through the gospel of Jesus Christ, and it's calling for me to be cleansed in His precious blood that He died and He spilled for my sins at Calvary. You see other passages as well that talk about that. Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 7 will be another great place to go to and, and see this as well. Ephesians 1 and verse 7 says, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of sins according to the riches of His grace. So at this, with the end of this first verse and that on our hearts and that, those thoughts and those words in our minds, have you heard? Have you heard the voice of the Lord calling to you through His gospel? People in the denominational world, and when I say that, I just mean people in that religious mindset throughout the world that we see, they, they, they are, there are so many people that are waiting for that. I want to hear the voice of God. We hear sometimes people say, you'll, you'll just have this feeling. You'll know. You'll, you'll, you'll feel something tugging at your heartstrings. There's just some way that you'll know. And there's people the world over going, I'm still waiting for that. I'm still waiting to hear God's voice in my life. But you know what Peter was saying over and over again is when you've heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, when you've heard the good news of His life, His death, and His resurrection, when you've heard that He came and died because of your sins, you're hearing the voice of God in your life. And it's saying, I want you. Come to me. So the next verse of this song continues with that thought. It says, Though coming, weak and vile, Thou dost my strength assure, Thou dost my vileness fully cleanse, Till spotless, all impure. One of the great things about this second verse is the reminder of another song that we sometimes sing. God is calling us exactly as we are. We come to Jesus just as we are. The second verse tells us Jesus is looking for people who are weak. And Jesus is looking for people who are vile. Jesus is looking for people who are sinful. In fact, was that not the very words of Christ in His life on earth? When you think of Luke chapter 6, excuse me, Luke chapter 5, I apologize. Luke 5 and verse 27 
Think about what Jesus says there. He says, After these things he went out and saw a tax collector named Levi sitting at the tax office, and he said to him, Follow me. So he left all, rose up, and followed him. And then Levi gave him a great feast in his own house. And there were a great number of tax collectors and others who sat down with him. And the scribes and Pharisees complained against the disciples, saying, Why do you eat and drink with tax collectors and sinners? And Jesus answered and said, Those who are well have no need of a physician. Doctors don't go to well people. Doctors don't go to people who are healthy. They are looking for those who are sick. They are looking for those that they can help. And he says, likewise, I have not come to call the righteous. I've come to call sinners to repentance. In Luke 19, verse 10, he would say again, The Son of Man came to seek and save that which was lost. I'm looking, he's saying. I'm looking for those who are weak. I'm looking for those who are vile, those who are lost, those who, who don't have all the answers, those who don't understand everything completely. I'm looking for these kind of people. And what that means is there's great blessings then whenever we come to Him. Part of that blessing, He says, is our strength can be assured. We come in weakness, we come vile, we come impure, and we can be assured of strength when we do that. That's what we see Him offering here. In Philippians chapter 4, verse 13, for those of you that were here Wednesday night, I wrote the verse down to make sure that I remembered it correctly. Philippians 4, 13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. He is calling us to Him so we can partake in His strength. Paul would later say, I don't boast even though I could boast. Out of all the apostles, I am the greatest of them all. None of them have worked like me, but it's not because of me. It's because of what God has been doing through me. It's because of His grace. And so if I boast, I boast in Him. That's what we're singing in this song. We have a reason to boast. Because we have an awesome God. We have a Savior in Jesus Christ that has called us out of our weakness into His strength. And He offers us not only strength, but He offers us cleansing from that vileness. Another passage we would think about is Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8. Alan talked this morning about Romans chapter 6, and that would fit in here just as well. Or excuse me, Romans chapter 5. That would fit in here just as well with this song. But in Romans chapter 8, think about what he says in verses 1 through 2. He says, There is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. For the law of the Spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made men free from the law of sin and death. So he calls us out of our vileness into his life, a life in which there is no condemnation. He is cleansing us and making us pure from our sin. And He's setting us free from the consequences, from the debt, from the guilt of sin. In fact, in the very next couple of verses, uh, uh, chapter 8, verse 12, I love what Paul says there. Brethren, we are debtors. Might as well change that word from debtors to slaves. We are enslaved. That's a term that we don't like to think about a lot today or celebrate as we talked about even this morning. Our freedom just a couple days ago. But Paul is saying we are slaves, we are debtors, not to the flesh. We've been set free from that. Christ has set us free from that. We are enslaved to the family of God. We are sons of God as we come through Him. And Jesus is offering us all these things. And if all 
if that was all that was what was available in Christ Jesus, to come as we are. Did you also notice that? Coming weak and vile means I don't have to figure out everything to come to Christ. I don't have to be perfect to come to Christ. I don't have to get my life, uh, just everything figured out and everything on the straight and narrow to come to Christ. He's looking for me to come to Him the way that I am. But if these are the things that He offers us when we get there, strength to straighten our lives out, cleansing to be made pure and righteous from our sins, freedom from the guilt of those sins which bring death into us, if that was all, would that not be more than what was abundantly necessary to bring us to Christ? We don't need to assume that that we need to have everything just picture perfect clean and be that squeaky clean image of what everybody thinks a Christian needs to be today just to come to Him. But the third verse reminds us that there needs to be more once we do come. It says, Jesus calls me on to perfect faith and love, to perfect hope and peace and trust for earth and heaven above. The third verse is describing our growth once we have come to Christ. Sometimes we get this mindset that once I have come to Christ, I have, I have tasted of the sacrifice that He made for me, setting me free from sin, well then I'm good. And I can just stop right there. I've got a one-way ticket stamped for me to heaven and I don't have to worry about anything else. But I want you to think about what, what Peter wrote in 2 Peter chapter 3. 2 Peter chapter 3 and in verse 18. There he says, Grow. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's, speaking, he's, he's talking to people who have already been saved. They're Christians. They're disciples of Christ. He says, You need to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior. To Him be the glory. Our growth is glory to Him. And in fact, if you go back to the beginning of of that that epistle, He's telling them not just grow. Grow in all of these manners. Add add to, to your faith virtue and to virtue knowledge. And He says if you will grow, what is being offered to you by Christ through your growth is an abundant entrance we're not, I think sometimes we get the idea that, that we're squeaking across the finish line just, just with everything that we've got just sliding across on our belly and hopefully, hopefully we get a finger across the finish line that gets us into heaven. He's saying, no, if you grow, it's an abundant entrance into the eternal kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The door is wide open and God is saying, no, you don't have to slide in, I'm bringing you in. I want you here. And you can be confident in that. How? By growing. And how do we grow in Christ? We bear fruit. Matthew chapter 28, we see this all the way back in in His Great Commission. Jesus goes to His disciples and He says, I want you to go into all the world and I want you to make disciples. And to do that, you obviously have to teach them about who Jesus is and what Jesus has done. And in that teaching, you're going to bring them to a point where they decide, am I going to submit to the Master and be baptized in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit and become a child of God, being freed from my sins. And then they're they're good. You're just done and you go on your own way. No, that's not what He says. He says then you teach them some more. Teaching them to observe all things. What He's saying is I'm teaching you, the, the disciples were to teach other disciples to obey Christ. Obey Him in all manner. 
John 15, verse 8. Jesus there says, My Father is glorified when what? When you bear much fruit, you will be My disciples. So we are to bear fruit. We are to bear fruit through the interactions that we have with others. Are the relationships that we have with others growing up into relationships that, that are sprouting light and love from God into the world? Yes, sometimes we judge bearing fruit by the people that respond. And sometimes that's rightfully so. People that respond and become disciples and become children of God. But what about are we bearing fruit in our lives? Am I bearing fruit with my wife? Am I bearing fruit with my children? Am I bearing fruit with my brothers and sisters by putting on patience? By putting on humility? Am I being gentle? Am I being kind? Am I putting on the characteristics of Christ in my life and bearing fruit? And the next verse of the song reminds us of something. It says this is for earth and this is also for heaven. I think we get half of that pretty easily. Of course we see this in this life on earth. When I am a patient person, when I am kind, when I am gentle, oftentimes that leads to good things in, with the relationships and the people around me. There's not too many people that are coming up to you and just really tearing you down and getting in your face because you've just been too nice to me this week. No, usually that's building up good relationships. But what about this next part? What about in heaven? We talked about Revelation 19 last week. That there is a, there is a wedding coming. There is a, a, a wedding of the bride and the Christ. This is this idea of the joining of the church with Christ in eternity. And if you remember, Revelation 19, verse 8, he talked about the clothes, the fine linen, which Holly was very quick to remind me after services, where over fine linen and cotton are not the same thing. I, I'm telling you, I don't know. The fine linen of the saints, the fine linen that the clothing of the, of the bride of Christ was the righteous acts of the saints. The righteous acts of the saints today equate to the fine linens that we will wear as we are wed with Christ in eternity in heaven. But you know, you know I want you to also think about this. Turn to Revelation chapter 2. Now Jesus, he, but before we see these, these great images of, of hope and of trust and the fact that Christ is going to be victorious, He is not going to be defeated by a power like Rome, by Satan, by anything... Before we see all those images in Revelation, I want you to see where he starts out. In chapter 2, he's writing, he's speaking to these churches of Asia. In chapter 2, verse 7, notice what he says. For those who overcome, for those who don't give in, for those who don't give up, for those who continue to grow, despite the circumstances around them, what does he say? He says, you will receive the right to eat of the tree of life. Now, that's not in this life. That's, that's in heaven. Revelation 2.11, for those who overcome, they won't get hurt by the second death. Revelation chapter 3, verse 5, for those who overcome, they will be clothed in white garments. Very similar to what we read in Revelation 19. Revelation chapter 3, verse 12, those who overcome will become pillars in the temple of God. In verse 21, those who overcome will sit with Christ on the throne of God. Jesus is calling us on to grow to perfect faith and love. That's this idea of maturity, maturing in our faith, maturing in our love, maturing in our hope and peace. 
And that's going to have ramifications in this life. And that's going to have great ramifications in the life to come. And so lastly, let's take just a quick look at the chorus. I am coming, Lord. When you sing that chorus, you think about that, what you're saying. Kyle is coming, Lord. I am coming now to Thee. Wash me, cleanse me in the blood that flowed on Calvary. We've talked in the past the significance of this, of the blood of Christ, the significance of entering into that relationship with Him, uh, especially seen in light of the relationship that you see in that first early Jewish marriage ceremony where it was the partaking of the ketubah, the signing of the ketubah. It was the partaking of the offering, what they call a blood offering of the grape juice. And if the bride-to-be accepted that, she was accepting a relationship with her groom, that we are going to be betrothed, we are going to be husband and wife. When I say, wash me, cleanse me in the blood, when I submit to Christ and am buried with Him in baptism, and the blood of Jesus Christ, which was spilled at Calvary, flows out even some 2,000 years into the future to cover my sins, I'm saying, I want to have this relationship with you. You're going to be the husband of this family. And what that means is you're going to be the leader, as we read in other passages throughout the Scriptures. You're going to be the one that is leading me. You are going to be the one that I am submitting myself to. Why? Because you're the Son of God that gave everything for me. This chorus expresses the appeal to coming to Christ. And the appeal is to receive His cleansing. A cleansing that begins in baptism. Romans chapter 6, verses 3 through 8 makes that very clear. Think about what it says there. Romans chapter 6, verse 3, Do you not know that as many of you, or as many of us, as were baptized into Christ Jesus, were baptized into His death? Therefore we were buried with Him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been united together in the likeness of His death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of His resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man was crucified with Him, that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves of sin, for he who has died has been freed from sin. Now if we died with Christ, we believe that we also shall live with Him. Baptism is the connection between those who are buried with Christ and His crucifixion. Sometimes people in, in this world, they really have a hard time seeing that. They, just, they don't want to see that. That implies a work on my part. I have to do something. It's not a work on our part. It's a submission to God's work. God says, and has said throughout the history of mankind, we have hard hearts. And He wants to take those hearts and He wants to soften them. Colossians chapter 2, verse 12, He says, we have received a circumcision. God is surgically removing sin from our life. Acts chapter 2 and verse 38, repent and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Over and over again, these passages are pointing out to us that baptism isn't something that we do. It's a submission to God to allow His work to happen in our life. Acts 22 verse 16 says, Likewise, when Paul recounts his conversion, how he became a Christian, he speaks about how Ananias came to him and says, Why do you wait? Arise and be baptized 
and wash away your sins. But that's just where it begins. If we think that somehow getting wet is is just going to all of a sudden transport us into a life where we are going to heaven, we need to read passages like Romans chapter 12. Because being cleansed with Christ, coming to God, coming to Christ to receive this cleansing, it begins at baptism. But it continues through our life. Romans 12 verse 2. Think about what it says there. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. I am coming, Lord. We're going to sing this song in just a moment. And as we sing it, I want to ask you this question. Have you heard the welcome voice of the Lord in your life? Sitting here this afternoon, we've read passages of God, in God's Scripture telling us the good news of Jesus Christ. That He came into a world that He didn't have to. A world that He created. A world that should have followed Him but had rebelled against Him and had turned to walk in darkness. And He came into this world so that He could draw those out of it into His glorious light that would submit to Him. This afternoon, you've heard the voice of God through His Word speaking to you, saying, I'm calling you home. I'm calling you to Me. So maybe the question really isn't so much have you heard the voice of God, as do you desire to be cleansed by Him? Do you desire to give up control of your life? Give up control of, I'm going to make all my decisions, I'm going to do what I want to do. So I'm going to submit myself to Jesus Christ. If that's your desire this afternoon, I'd like to speak just for a short moment about our desire at Lake Street. Our desire here is to help people just like you, just like me, who have lives that have been messed up by sin, to come to a holy God and work together to submit to Christ and stand before Him on the day of judgment justified. And we can't do it on our own. I need your help. And I know you need ours. We all need God. And so as we sing this song, number 300, if there is some way that we can help you to come to the Lord, to make your life right with Him, whether it be for the first time, to be, to be washed of your sins in baptism, and to put on Christ and put to death the old man, or whether it be to return to Him, won't you please let us know how we can help you. Come forward as we stand and sing the song of invitation.